Hey, good morning. My name is Ron. I'm one of the guys on staff. If you didn't get sermon notes this morning, there'll be ushers here and over at Classic. To my friends over at Classic, welcome this morning. I am glad that you are here uh, today. Some of you are very familiar that uh, I have three daughters, and um, some of you are, again, very familiar that uh, there was due to be some weddings uh, this year. Um, One happened last weekend. So my youngest, who sits right down here, is no longer a bomb, but is now an Avery. Steal my last name. Thank you, Dalton. And so one wedding down, one to go. My youngest was the first. If you missed uh, several months ago, uh, Dalton proposed to her here on the stage uh, during one of, our, one of my sermons. And, um, and then about a month later, my oldest daughter was proposed to, and her wedding is in about four weeks. And so they were very kind to me to spread them apart and give me a little bit of time. My middle daughter's not there yet. You're going to meet her a little bit later. Um, but what a, what a great uh, time. I, in ministry, have probably performed, I, I started losing count at about 300 uh, wedding ceremonies that I've performed. And, uh, and so it kind of gets to a point where you do one, you've done them all, and, and it's all the same thing kind of going on, and so you get a little calloused until you're the dad of the bride, and now things are a little bit differently. And so a different. So I, I realized that throughout setup and getting ready for it, there were different times, dads, you would know that that would just hit my heart, you know, and it would be emotional that I would really key in that this is my daughter getting, getting married. And, uh, and so there was just different times that that happened, probably not the times that people would expect I remember the next day after the wedding being home, and I walked past uh, my last daughter in the house of her bathroom, and the bathroom was empty, and I went by her bedroom, and, and uh, there the bedroom was empty, and I kind of put my hand up on the, on the door and just sat there thinking, and, and I could feel it coming, and many of you could probably identify with this, um, that have been here with, it, you know, finally your last kid leaving, and I, I just felt it overwhelmingly coming my way, and, and all of a sudden before I put my head down, and and I just started to get a little bit giddy. <laughs> because all of a sudden I realized 28 years of a 30-year marriage, we have had roommates. <laughs> and we are now empty nesters. And so that was fantastic. It was just this overwhelming piece of joy. And, and I know in about 30 days I'm going to walk by that room and, and maybe, maybe cry. But for now it's just kind of exciting so I'm just going to ask you to excuse me for a little bit. Let me enjoy it for a little bit. I love my kids dearly, but they're all gone. And so I told my wife, let's go get some tattoos of a nest with three, three feathers that are gone. And it just says empty on it. You know, I, I, I think that would be fantastic. I realized by being a dad of a bride, uh, a dad of a daughter... Uh, that is about to get married. There are three specific jobs for a dad. There's so many details, so many things that her mom did, and the in-laws did, and all that took place for that wedding, but there's three things that are specific to the dad. The first one is write the check. <laughs> and, and I did this a little bit non-traditional. Years ago, I learned from someone uh, that was very insightful how to do this, and I realized that, you know, you can get stuck as a dad as you budget for, you know, the wedding dress. I'm going to budget $200 and then your daughter calls you and comes down and says, but I like this one. It's only, you know, $5,000, daddy. And I, no, no, nay, nay, I'm not going to do that. And, and then the cake, we're going to budget, you know, 100 bucks for cake. Costco does great cakes. 
on a budget for that, and then, you know, they see the cake master, you know, that, that does, you know, $5,000 for a cake, and they go, oh, daddy, it's the cake. No, nay, nay, not going to do that. So here's what I did. I wrote one check. People, have, you have been gracious to ask me, hey, how are the wedding plans coming? None of you have, you know, donated money towards it, but you've been kind to ask, and I appreciate that. But I decided I'm going to write one check. And so my wife and I, we determined how much that would be, how much would make a great wedding, and we gave them that check, and it took a while to get it out of my hand, but I gave them that check to say, here's the deal. You can have all of this for a wedding. You can have all of it for a reception. Spend all of it on your honeymoon if you want. You can do something small, something large, do whatever you want. You can take this and put it down towards a house. It doesn't matter to me, but it's your money. It's your budget. You decide. And I was very proud of both my youngest daughter and my oldest daughter who took those checks And they carved a major portion out and put it aside for their life ahead and took the rest of it and developed just a small intimate wedding that they wanted to have that was special to them. And so I was really proud of that because I really felt like they understood money and they understood what it was to budget and they weren't coming after me for more and more and more. And so it was really easy to say, here's your check. There's no more, there's no less. Make this count. And so I was really proud of them to do that. So I know that one of the jobs of a dad is to write that check. The second job of a dad is to walk your daughter down that aisle. And that I've seen, again, hundreds of times, but now I was on the side of bringing my daughter down, and I wanted that to last for a long time because we had a good opportunity to just kind of laugh and talk and and get down to that place where they ask you the question, you know, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And you think and you conjure up every reason you could think of not to do this, but you already spent all the money, so go ahead and get it done. (laughs) And, And that's just a special time to have your daughter on your arm and walk her down that aisle to present her to the, to the best man. Well, not the best man. I, I never really understood that. Why is the best man called the best man when the groom is the guy she's married? I, I don't understand the whole thing, but to the, to the guy that you believe is gonna be the guy to take care of your wife, and that, Dalton, was you, and, and, and that's just a special time. The third job of a dad, of a bride, I'm gonna tell you a little bit later because we're gonna jump into our theme. So if you got your sermon notes, pull those out. We'll come back to the third thing a little bit later. We're going to jump into this series that Pastor Josh started last week entitled Just Dance. And we're going to talk about that and what that's about. But I want to tell you a story first. There was a dad who was at the beach with his kids. And his four-year-old son came to him and said, Dad, come quick, come quick. And, and the little son took his dad to the shoreline. And there he pointed out a dead seagull that lay there in the sand. And he said, Daddy, What happened? And so the dad, trying to think the best answer he'd come up with, said, well, he died and, and went to heaven. And so this little four-year-old boy just sat there in, in complete confusion and thought, well, daddy, did, did God throw him back? It just didn't make sense to him. And I, and I happened to hear that story, and I thought, you know what? There's going to be a point in time when we are going to be present before God. And I just wonder if there's times that God is excited and God is celebrating the time that we had on this earth, however many years we've been granted and welcome us into heaven? Or are there times where he just says, you know what, it's time to go back. You're like the fish that was caught. Say, no, not this one, send it back. You need to go back and do more. And, and I know that's not the way it works, but there's times I wonder, what is God's answer gonna be as I stand before him? And so we come into this particular theme where last week, Josh talked about that God celebrates life change. And many people have gone through life change because of their relationship with God. In fact, last weekend, There were 142 people that said, it is time for me to stand and go make a public profession of my faith and be baptized. And so 142 people were baptized last weekend. That's reason to dance. That's reason to celebrate. That's something that God celebrates. And today is Father's Day. 
And I know that God celebrates dads. And so if you're a dad this morning here and over at Classic, up in the balcony, would you stand for me real quick? If you're a dad, you know if you are or not. I applaud you. I applaud you. Thank you. You may be seated. I applaud you for many reasons because I realize you could be sleeping in this morning. I realize you can bail on church. Across the nation, this is the worst attended church day of the year. And I applaud you for making this a priority to be here uh, this morning. I know that God celebrates dads. I know that God celebrates men. That's why I think this is a manly holiday. This is the opportunity that you get to barbecue something. Just take some animal and barbecue it and chow on it. Sorry for you vegetarians or animal police people, whatever you do. I'm sorry for that, but this is a day you just get to be a man. I hope you get to kick back and enjoy the day. But what I want to talk to is every man in the room, and, and women, you'll excuse me for a minute as I do this, but I think you'll appreciate it and the principles will apply. But I believe that God celebrates a man's man. And I know we can define that many ways. Those who think they're a man's man by the sports they're involved in or the job they have or the character that they carry or what have you. But I wanted to search scripture for that. And I know in the book of Proverbs, there's Proverbs 31. And many women know that as the, the, the woman's chapter. The one, Proverbs 31 woman is a, a list of characteristics of, of value that the, that the woman holds to. And I wanted to find that for the man. And I found Psalm 112. Psalm 112 is a man's man chapter. Now, we don't know who wrote it. I'd like to think that it was David because David wrote many of the Psalms. And David was a man's man. I mean, since he was a kid, he picked up a slingshot and a stone and took out Goliath. What a man's man. He's a warrior. He was a successful king. He was a family man, a businessman. He had his failures, of course, but he's always described in the scripture as a man after God's own heart. David was a man's man. Again, I don't know if he wrote this or not. It sounds like him. It doesn't matter if it was him or not, but I think that this particular chapter, only 10 verses long, help us as men to know what it is to be a man's man. So read it with me. It's on your outline. It'll be on the screens. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They're generous and compassionate and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They're confident and fearless and can face the foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will will slink away their hopes thwarted. Small chapter tucked away in the book of Psalms to say, men, if you want to be a man's man, here's what we need to look at and align with our life. And so let's unpack it a little bit. What does God celebrate? The first thing is God celebrates a man of incredible faith. God celebrates a man of incredible faith. A Psalm 112 man is described in two specific ways. Look at verse 1 again. Verse 1 again says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord. Would you circle that? Those who fear the Lord. Secondly, those who delight in obeying his commands. Would you circle obeying his commands? So two things, two descriptions of a man of incredible faith. The first is those that fear God. Fear is one of the most basic instincts of all creatures, animal and human. Fear is a basic instinct, yet in Scripture it says over 300 times to fear not. Yet it also says over and over to fear God. 
Now, this command to fear God is oftentimes misunderstood, mostly due to the impressions that we have of our earthly father. Sometimes they are tied to our impressions of our heavenly father. For some of us, we have had an unhealthy fear of our earthly father, or we've had no fear of our earthly father, and it has impacted our relationship with our heavenly father. Now, this fear that is talked about, this man of incredible faith to fear God, is not being scared, not trembling in your shoes, but it is a reverence. A man of incredible faith develops a healthy reverence, a healthy fear. How? Let me give you a couple suggestions. The first is this. Recognize who God is. Recognize who God is, that he is God and I am not. We have got to get that clear in our life because left to ourselves, we can self-destruct or we can give ourselves way too much credit. Oftentimes we think if I've got it, I've earned it. If I'm going to get it, I deserve it. When the reality is, if we got it, we got it only because God gave it to us. God allowed it. We need to recognize who God is in our life and have a healthy relationship, a healthy reverence for who he is and the things that he allows us to enjoy. Secondly, we need to recognize who we are apart from God. Apart from God, we are separated from eternity. We get to enjoy the the days, the years that we have on this planet. But the reality is what happens after our life here, eternity that's available, where the life here is but a blip on the radar in comparison to eternity. Apart from him, we are separated from him. If we are going to be men of incredible faith, we have to develop a healthy reverence that we need to be in relationship with him so that we are not separated from him. Thirdly, we need to recognize that one day we will be accountable. One day we will be accountable. I happen to believe that there will be accountability in heaven. We're going to be asked two questions. The first one, what did you do with my son? And based on that answer, we'll determine whether there's a second question. But if we answer that question that we accepted your son, we did not reject your son, we accepted him as our personal savior. We allowed him in our life. We confessed our sin. We allowed him to permeate and take over our life and our name be written in the book of life. Then eternity is ours. In eternity, there will be a second question. What did you do with what I gave you? And I don't understand that completely, but the scripture describes rewards and the scripture describes crowns and there's reason to live on this earth taking care of the things that God has entrusted to us. But yet there's something else. Look at Psalm 33. It says, the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. In one scripture, in one sentence, fear and love are mentioned. And they seem to be so polar opposite when in reality they are very connected. We would understand it as parents that sometimes we want to put the fear of God in our kids, yet it oftentimes is balanced with unconditional love for them. We want to discipline them, so they need to fear us, they need to fear our words, they need to fear our actions, but that is backed with unconditional love that we don't want them hurt, we want them safe, we want them secure. Fearing God is a healthy balance of our reverence for him and his unconditional love for us. But there's a problem. If it's all about fear, then we can become legalistic. If it's all about God and his rules and his laws, and and we fear him and we shudder in our shoes, then we will allow the rules to cause us to be very legalistic. 
And yet on the opposite end, if it's all about love, he loves us and forgives everything, which he does forgive all of our mistakes and all of our sin. But if it's all about love, then we think that this unconditional love means it doesn't matter how we live. And so we say that we know him, we say that we love him, but the other six days a week we live like hell. Fear is balance between knowing that he loves us and cares for us and so we ought to revere him and knowing that he has a significant love for us and cares about every detail of our life and desires that to be melded together into perfect balance. You say, well, that just sounds confusing. What's actually in it for me? Well, let me ask you a question. Would you like to have direction in life? Would you like to have compassion when you're going through storms of life? Would you like to have the blessings that are promised in Scripture outpoured upon your life? Would you like to have contentment rather than discontentment in comparison? Would you like to have purpose in your life to know that the small amount of years that you have on this planet have a plan and a purpose behind it? I would. I would sign up for something like that. Well, let me give you five fringe benefits of a healthy fear of God. And they go very quickly. They come from the scriptures, Psalms and Proverbs. Psalms 25 says, who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way that he should, he should choose. As we fear God, God will provide direction and instruction for our life. Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As we're going through storms of life, we want to protect our kids. As we go through storms of life, our Heavenly Father wants to protect us and show us compassion. Proverbs, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. His blessings overflowing to us. Psalm 34, for to those who fear him, there is no want. There is absolute contentment. Psalm 25, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant, his promise, his purpose, his plan for life. Fringe benefits for understanding what it is to fear God with a healthy balance of reverence and knowing and understanding his love. A Psalm 112 man fears God. But secondly, he follows God. How does he do this? We recognize it by scripture. The corner of my eye, I just saw the screen go out. There we go. He follows God. How does he do this? He understands the scripture, his word. The Bible says that God's word is the authority for the Christ follower. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. God's word is the plumb line to life. It allows us to walk according to what he wants from his word for each and every one of us. Let me give you three facts about the Bible. The first is this, God's word is insightful. No matter how many times you hear it, it has a certain amount of freshness. For those of you that continue to come week after week to a church service, you hear the word of God presented. You may have heard that verse before, but dependent on the season that you're going through, all of a sudden that verse hits you differently. And it resonates with you because God's word is insightful. Secondly, God's word will never be obsolete. It's not like the textbook that goes out of print. It's not like the newspaper that is important today, but only useful for the birdcage tomorrow. Newspapers are becoming obsolete, aren't they? 
I heard a little guy and his dad talking about the newspaper. And the dad was trying to explain what a newspaper was and the kid just wasn't getting it. And so the dad said, think of it like this. It's 30 pages of the internet delivered to your driveway every day. And the kid thought, why do we need that? Just go online. News is history. The word of God is fresh and will never be obsolete for today, for tomorrow, and for the future. Thirdly, God's word is powerful. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is full of living power. Power to do what? Power to change our life. D.L. Moody once said the Bible wasn't given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. You want an incredible life this side of heaven? Since there is an authoritative source that has timeless insight that will never be obsolete and is full of incredible power to change our life, then doesn't it make sense that we explore its message? The Psalms say your word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It's interesting that today, families want the benefits of God. They want direction, they want blessings, they want material wealth and happiness and contentment and peace, yet without the obligation of accepting the Bible as the final authority in their life. It just becomes a book put on a shelf, a book that we never crack the pages of, a book that we just think that we cannot understand. But without making God a priority, without making the Bible the final authority, it is impossible to be a strong Christ follower, a man's man, without regular, consistent intake of his word. If you don't do anything else today, settle this, that you and I are going to accept the Bible as the final authority, a powerful source for every issue in your life. What does the Bible say? That's the bottom line. That should be our question. It doesn't matter what you or I feel. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what culture says or what tradition or anything else. What does the Bible say? I am going to allow the Bible to guide my decisions, my choices, my worries, and my fears to be a lamp upon my feet, a light to my path to give me the direction that I need. God celebrates a man's man. A man of incredible faith, one who balances the fear of God with the love of God, and one who chooses to follow his word. Secondly, God celebrates a man of increasing influence. Verse 9 of our Psalm 112, man, says they will have influence. We just circle the word? Influence. Where? Well, it being Father's Day, why don't we talk about towards our kids? In fact, Verse 2 says their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. You say, wait a minute. You mean there's a guarantee here that if I choose then to fear God and to follow God, I'm going to have successful kids? Well, wait a minute. We have to understand something very important. And now, as a dad with grown kids that are grown and gone, can I give you a little bit of insight that has helped me along the way that I think may help every dad in the room? First is this. We are only responsible to love, train, and discipline our children. Even though we can influence them, we cannot control them. We will not be held responsible for the things that we cannot control. Secondly, your kids are responsible for the choices that they make. Ultimately, parents do not share any responsibility for the choices of their children. If you don't believe me, read Ezekiel chapter 18. Now this means two things. Parents cannot claim the credit 
nor the blame. I shouldn't beat myself up about the choices my child makes. I can instill everything I can, but they still go and make their own choices no matter what age or stage of life. Secondly, I shouldn't boast about how, a great job, how great a job I did with how my kids turned out. Because there is no magic formula. There is no seed. There is no, if you do this, then it will be that. There just isn't. There isn't in scripture. There isn't in life. You can know in the same household with three kids, all three completely different, yet from the same mother and father, the same rules, the same disciplines, the same love, and yet all three are so different. We are not responsible for their attitudes, for their choices, for their selection of friends, or for their anger. We are responsible to them, not for them. We are accountable for what we do to our kids, not for what our children might do. You will, have, you will not have to give an account for anyone other than yourself. And you and I must stop feeling guilty about the choices our kids make. I don't know if that helps, but that helps me. Because it's easy when all of a sudden one kid goes bad or one kid makes a bad choice to say, if I only would have, I should have. No. They made their choices and they have to live with it. Thirdly, there's a huge difference between being guilty and feeling guilty. Just because you feel guilty doesn't mean that you are. Because your kids may have made a bad decision or made a bad choice or have gone astray doesn't mean it's something that you did equated to that. Someone wrote this that I thought puts it all into perspective. I gave you life, but I cannot live it for you. I can offer you advice, but I cannot make you accept it. I can give you direction, but I cannot always be there to lead you. I can teach you things, but I cannot make you learn. I can teach you to share, but I cannot make you unselfish. I can teach you respect, but I cannot force you to honor others. I can teach you kindness, but I cannot make you gracious. I can advise you about friends, but I cannot choose them for you. I can warn you about drinking and drugs, but I cannot say no for you. I can teach you about sex, but I cannot keep you pure. I can give you all of my love, but I cannot make you accept it. I can take you to church, but I cannot make you believe. I can warn you about sin, but I cannot make you moral. I can pray for you, but I cannot make you walk with God. I can allow you freedom, but I cannot account for what you do with it. Doesn't that help? Doesn't that put it into perspective a little bit? You see, our heavenly father celebrates a man's man. God celebrates a man of incredible faith, one who balances the fear of God with the love of God and one who chooses to follow his scripture. Secondly, God celebrates a man of increasing influence with his kids. And lastly, God celebrates a man of impeccable honor. Verse nine again says, they will have influence and honor. Circle that word honor. I think it's a fantastic word of the scriptures. Honor is defined with descriptive words from Psalm 112. Verse four says, they are generous 
compassionate and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously. They're giving and they conduct their business fairly. They are just and fair. Verse 6, such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They will have a solid reputation. They do not fear bad news because they confidently trust in the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Wouldn't you want that, men, to describe who you are? Wouldn't you want people to see you and say, that's my dad, that's a man's man? That is a huge list of demonstrable, impeccable honor towards people, towards our kids, towards our wives. In fact, can I address that real quick? First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding, generosity, compassion as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Men, have you ever felt like your prayers just bounce off the ceiling? That God just doesn't hear them? That God doesn't enact anything in regards to your prayers? Well, maybe it should be you go back and look at 1 Peter 3. When your wife walks into a room, what is your response Is it in awe? Is it breathtaking? Is it with honor when she, as a gift from God, is in your presence? Or are you just tolerate and treat badly? What are your words like when stress or tension exists? Are they gentle and kind? What do your actions look like on a consistent basis? Are you a generous person? Are you a compassionate person? We have opportunity, men, to enhance and enrich the life of the one that we say we love the most, and yet sometimes we treat them worse than a person we don't even know. Honor knows how to turn the vows that you made at your wedding ceremony into washing dishes and taking out the trash, even if it's not your turn or your responsibility. Honor knows how to take the great joys that you have in the hospital nursery and turn them into sitting at t-ball games and award ceremonies and dance recitals. Every dad in here knows who has a little child or a daughter who has sat on a hard bench or a wooden floor going, isn't there something else I can do? You're looking at your time, you're bringing out your phone, you're doing all that you can because it just seems like a waste of time. Honor says it doesn't matter what event, what activity. I want to honor my kids. I want to honor my wives. I want to honor them in such a way that they feel blessed. I want to be a man's man. I want to be a man of incredible faith. I want to, I want to be a man of increasing influence. And I want to be a man of impeccable honor that my kids have something to live for. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, in response to all that he has done for us, in response to all that God has done for us, let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind, showing honor to each other and doing good. Is that your goal, man? A man's man outdoes the kid. A man's man outdoes the wife in showing honor. Is that your desire, to be a man's man? It's time that we step up and be a man of God with incredible faith, increasing influence and impeccable honor. I told you I was gonna share one more thing about a dad's job at a wedding. A dad gets to do three things. He writes the check. He gives his daughter away. 
And then he gets to honor his daughter with the daddy-daughter dance. There is no better piece of that day than in a three-minute moment, I stood with my daughter on that patio. And that song was for us. And that song was about us. And every guest could just sit there and wait. We laughed, we cried, we shared stories. And it was in that moment, in that dance, that symbolizes birth, life's journey, and the wedding day all at one time. It takes the good, the bad, the difficult, the little things, the big things, and wraps them up in one three-minute moment. It tells the world that you were on loan to me, and now my heavenly Father is going to cause you to leave your mom and I and cleave to the one that he has prepared for you. And it reminds every guest and every person who would hear this message that she was mine first. Yeah, three things a dad gets to do, but that one's pretty special. And they're all dads, and that's all their daughters. Some that have already been given away, some not yet. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) A man's man. Can we stand up and be a man's man? A man of just incredible faith. A man of increasing influence. And a man of impeccable honor. That's what God desires. That's what God calls a man's man. Would you stand with me here and over in classic? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you love us so much. I pray, God, that the lives of each and every man at this church would have a desire to fear you and follow you, to recognize who you are in our life, that you are God and we are not, and to understand, God, that as we honor our kids and our wives, There are little eyes watching. There are older eyes watching. A desire to know who God is through us. So God, on this Father's Day, I pray that each man would show and demonstrate exactly that. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.